Hey, it's an extra weekend, an extra long weekend for us. Hey, I just want to start by saying this, man, Memorial Day is a great time to rest and relax. And I'm sure some of your families may be lounging on the beach right now, even as we speak. And that's great. We hope they don't get too burnt. But Memorial Day really isn't about a long weekend, is it? We know this, right? We watched the video earlier. I mean, Memorial Day is about remembering the men and women who faithfully served in our armed forces and paid the ultimate price for you and I to even be sitting here in a free country. We say all the time that freedom isn't free. It does come with a price. And today we remember the men and women who laid down the ultimate price. Jesus says there's no greater love than this, that a man or a woman would lay down their life for a friend. And that's what we're celebrating today. I wanna pray for us just to remember those men and women before we get started. Father, thank you so much for the freedom we are afforded here. God, we are blessed people to live in a blessed country. And we know that freedom isn't free and our salvation wasn't free either. God, you laid down your life for us. And men and women did that for us as they served in our military. We remember them today, be with the families, give them peace, allow them to remember the sacrifices made for them. We prayed in your name. Amen. Well, we are in uh, the last part of our six-week series called Fresh Faith. This is a series that we started the week after Easter, and and it really comes out of a heart for uh, you and I that we look at what happened to our faith. I I say this every week, but man, where did our faith go? For some of us, we were so close to God. We were so fresh in our faith. We were growing, and all of a sudden, something happened, and now we wake up, and we feel lost. We feel away from God, and we feel wondering where He is or where His presence is, and this series is designed to help us regain that traction, to get back on the right track, spiritually speaking. And in week one, I talked about the way we're gonna do that is we're gonna look at one topic, one theology, and that is the theology of the kingdom of God. And that theology sounds very complex. It sounds very uh, deep down intimate, but really if we're gonna make it simple, the kingdom of God, simply put, is God's reign and rule over all creation, including you and I and our lives in a personal way. So that means that God has designed the world in kind of a function where there is a wide path, an easy path, a path that the world would tell us to go down, but it leads to destruction and death. And then there's a narrow path that is the kingdom of God path that is very narrow. Not many people find it. Not many people walk down it because it's very countercultural. but the people who do choose to walk down it, God blesses them and they grow and they flourish in all aspects of their life, not just spiritually speaking. So I won't recap the last other four weeks because I have a time limit. I don't wanna spend 75 minutes. I'd rather just spend 65 minutes with you today on my message. But you know, today what we're gonna do is we're gonna end this series by answering one question. We've talked about a lot of things. I hope that you've taken notes and I hope this series has blessed you over the past six weeks. But today we're gonna end with answering kind of one question I want us to look at together. And the question is, how do God's people fight their battles? When we talk, take, talk about the analogy of a kingdom, whatever you think of when you think of a physical kingdom, man, every good story has a great hero and has a great villain. Every kingdom has an enemy to some degree. Everyone has someone they're fighting against. And if you've grown up in church, if you read the Bible in any capacity, you know who the enemy of the story of our faith is. I don't have to spend 65 minutes telling you that. But what I find so often that is so interesting is that how we choose to fight our battles is that we choose to fight the wrong people. We, we choose to fight the wrong people. We choose to fight the actual people in front of us versus the people or the person, the enemy who is using them. The best way it's described, I feel like, is in 2 Corinthians. This is what the Apostle Paul says. He says, for such people are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, 
For Satan himself disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is not, no great surprise to us that his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Now I can go into a bunch of different ways with that. I won't dive too deep into it, but the point from that, that passage right there is maybe the issues you're dealing with at work, the coworker who just literally will not be quiet and leave you alone, the boss who is super unappreciative, the wife or husband that seems to bring up the same issue that you guys fight about every seven months together, all those things, you, we are tempted to look at them and say, I'm fighting against my wife right now. I'm fighting with my wife or I'm fighting against my job or I'm fighting with my kids right now. But what we have to remember is that those people are not the real enemy you're fighting against. The enemy that you and I are fighting against is the enemy who is the puppet master using people, organizations, governments, and businesses and the alike to bring death and destruction to our lives. So we spend so much of our life and energy fighting the wrong people and fighting the wrong things when in reality we have to fight the real enemy. And that's what happened in the garden, right? Satan did not come up to Eve and say, hey, I'm Satan, I'm your enemy, I'm here to bring death and destruction to your life. No, he presented himself as an ally, as someone who came alongside and said, let me, I'm here to help. Like, let me let you in on a secret. God doesn't know what he's talking about. Like, listen, like, hey, he's lying to you. Think about this. So the enemy is constantly disguising himself and disguising the people he chooses to use as people of righteousness. So when it comes to our battles, whatever battle it is you're facing today, for some of you, I know it's different for everyone and we're all fighting different battles today. But whatever you're fighting today, whatever battle you're dealing with, here's the truth I know about all of them together. That all of our battles are spiritual battles. And when I say something like that, we're tempted to kind of, well, hold on a second, I don't know if that's true. Right, because some of us are actually dealing with relationship issues right now. And we're saying, Preston, this is, a, this is a relational issue. This isn't a spiritual issue at all. Some of us are dealing with, you know, coworkers or bosses again. And we're saying, this is a relational issue. Or hey, maybe even some of you are dealing with mental health issues or you've got a diagnosis in the last year that you weren't expecting. And you're saying, Preston, th- this isn't spiritual at all. This is a physical battle I'm fighting. My body is going through something. I want you to look at how I worded that. All of your battles are spiritual battles, but I did not say all of your battles are only spiritual battles. There is in fact more than just a spiritual battle going on in your life, but we often do one of two things. We either make everything too spiritualized or make everything under spiritualized. And today what I want to tell you is that I did, we have to find that balance and you'll hopefully see that throughout this message is that I want us to find a balance with how we fight our battles. In the fall of 2021, I did a sermon series with our student ministry. For those of you who are new or don't know who this blonde-headed loser on the stage is talking, I'm the student pastor here. So, um, you know, we did a sermon series for my students in the fall and we titled it Feels, F-E-E-L-S. And it was a four-week series all designed about how do we address mental health issues like depression, suicide, anxiety? How do we deal with that with young people who are going through some very tough mental issues right now? And one of the things I told the students that I wanna tell you today is that we cannot, when it comes to mental health, for example, over-spiritualize it. We can't make it as simple as if you just pray that your depression will go away, it'll go away. The reason you have depression is because you're not praying. But we also can't under-spiritualize it either. We can't say, well, if you just do this, you don't really need to pray. You can just leave God out of it and you'll find help 
and healing from your mental health issues. And we have to find that balance. In fact, C.S. Lewis says it this way. This may be a little bit of a wordy quote. I'll explain it to you. He says, there are two equal and opposite errors in which our race can fall about the devils, talking about spiritual warfare here. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves, the demons, are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight. What Lewis is saying there is simply that when it comes to how we see spiritual battles, spiritual warfare from the enemy, we either make one of two mistakes. And I'll give you just an example. Let's just take uh, some of the things that maybe you deal with or people in your life deal with. I know churches this way. I wouldn't say there are any churches in Elizabeth City this way, but I've seen churches online that operate this way and you can take it for what it's worth. But there are, in some ways, we over-spiritualize and we become too fascinated with spiritual warfare to an unhealthy degree. I've seen pastors stand before a stage or meet with a mother who has a son or a daughter with Down syndrome or autism and look them in the face and say, the reason your son or daughter has these is because they're being demon-oppressed or demon-possessed. And if we just pray, they won't have these issues anymore. Just, we'll just pray over them and the autism and the Down syndrome will leave their body and they'll be fine. And then what happens, right? They pray for them and nothing happens. And then what does the pastor say? Well, you must not have had enough faith then. We, we over-spiritualize it. Hey, maybe pastor, the thing is, this isn't just a spiritual issue. Maybe there's more to this than just praying. But then what we do on the other side is we swung the pendulum now, because that used to be how churches operate a lot in the past. And now we swung the pendulum to the other side where we say, man, if you just go to therapy, you just take your medication, everything will be fine. No reason to pray, no reason to ask God for anything. Just take your medication, it's okay. And let me put an asterisk next to that before I go. It is good that some of you take your medication. It's a good thing. It is good that some of you would seek marriage counseling. You and your wife or husband, that's a good thing for you. You should do that. Those are great resources. Therapy works wonders. You should use therapy if you feel like you need it. These are great things that you should use. But as I've said in the series, if that's all we do, we leave God out of the equation. And sometimes medication doesn't do what it's supposed to do. Sometimes therapy doesn't help. And you can be left at the end of the day saying the same thing. Where's the real answers and the real victory over these things? I had a volunteer at my old church that I worked at before here. Um, I tell this story because it kind of goes to my point. Is he, he has a lot of childhood trauma. I won't get into it, obviously. But he's a great guy. And, you know, I love him. I still try to contact him a little bit today. He was a volunteer of mine. And him and his wife had a lot of marriage issues. And it stemmed a lot from his childhood trauma and how he handled conflict, how he handled relationships because of what he dealt with. And I talked to him every Sunday and he told me one week, he said, hey man, I'm about to be put on this medication to help my bipolar issues. I said, dude, that's great. Like, I hope it works. I hope this will help bring some relief to your marriage. And then the next week I asked him, hey man, did you get on that medication? How's it going? He said, Preston, you wouldn't believe it. Ever since I started taking this pill, man, I don't fight with my wife. I communicate. I do. It seems like everything is coming together and I can't believe it. It's just amazing what this is doing. And I said, hey man, this, that's awesome. I am gonna pray that that continues and I'm gonna pray that this will be a starting point for your healing in your marriage. I said, but, and he probably thought I was being a little rude and I said, hey, but buddy, if the only thing saving your marriage is the fact that you remember to take a pill in the morning, there are bigger issues going on down deep. And I said, yes, take your medication, but what's gonna happen when you run out? 
is your marriage gonna go back to falling apart? We have to, when it comes to spiritual battles, balance things. Yes, we should utilize great resources, but we should also fight our battles, spiritually speaking, because there are spiritual attacks going on in our heart, in our minds right now, even as I speak. So today what I wanna do is I wanna give us four ways that you and I can practically speaking fight our battles. Whatever battle it is you're dealing with today, here's four ways I hope will help you learn how to fight your battles the way God has intended you to fight your battles. The first one is we must ask, seek, and knock. One of the things we do when we encounter our battles is we must ask God, seek God's kingdom, and knock at his door. What that means is that we need to be praying. We need to be asking God to grant us victory over the things we're dealing with. One of the passages, uh, Matthew 7, from the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says this, I'm sure you're familiar with it. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. And if you're like me and you kind of struggle with doubt and skepticism a little bit, when we read a passage like this, we're tempted internally to roll our eyes. I know at times in my life I have been too. I've asked Jesus, right? I've prayed a prayer before and he didn't open no doors. He didn't give me the answer I wanted. And we're tempted internally to roll our eyes and say, I did ask, I did seek, I did knock, and I'm still fighting the battle. What happened? It says right there, if I ask, it will be given to you. I think one of the things that's gonna help us understand that passage is when we take our eyes off of seeing God solely as only a king, now don't take that the wrong way. Scott did a great job in week two saying that a, a great picture of who God is is seeing him as a king. But when we learn to see God as more than a king and see him as a father, we understand this passage a little bit more. Look at what he goes on to say in the next three verses. Who among you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? One of the things I think is so important for us to see in that passage before is it says, ask and it will be given to you. It did not say ask and everything you want will be given to you. That's not in the text. Ask and it will be given to you. The best way I can describe what that really means is uh, when I was a kid, and I'm sure many of you the same way, at birthdays and Christmas, you would write a Christmas list, right? Here's what I want. And even as a young kid, I kind of knew, well, there might be kids in here. Never mind. Santa is a great person. Santa is real. You should write your Christmas list. But uh, I would write my list and I would say, okay, I want this video game. I want these DVDs. I want these toys. I want this kind of thing. And I turn it into my mom and, you know, Christmas day comes or Christmas Eve, the night before we'd get together as a family. And even as a young kid, we, I kind of knew this was going to happen. We all have, or I, I think we have all had one or two family members. That doesn't matter what you write on your Christmas list. You're getting what they give you. And you're just gonna deal with it and smile through and say, thank you, grandma, I love this. And I'll get to Christmas Eve and my grandma or my aunt would come over and I'd open the pack and I'd open it to like 50 pairs of socks. And I'm like, yo, what is this? <laughs> this wasn't on my Christmas list, grandma. Did you not read the list? I photocopied it and sent it to your address. Like what's going on? This one on the list. But you know what's funny as we get older, as we grow, the things we think we want, we really don't want, the things we need are really the things we begin to ask for. And as I've gotten older, you know what? I love getting socks for my birthday or Christmas. 
I, I cannot be the only one, all right, that when I, I'll buy a new pack of socks, like 20 pairs of socks, and within a week, half of them are missing somehow. I don't know where they went. I washed them and I went to get them out of the washer and all of a sudden half of them are gone. Like what happened? Same thing with underwear, like where did they go? And all of a sudden now as a 27 year old person, I'm like, dude, thank you. Like seriously, like these socks and underwear, like I need these, I'm running low. And my stuff and my mindset changes based on maturity and how I grow. The things I once would ask for, I no longer ask for. And the things I ask for now are not wants, but more needs. I can't be the only one one time my mom said, what do you want for Christmas? I said, please pay my phone bill. <laughs> just pay, hey, look, man, just pay the phone bill. If you can pay my phone bill, that's a great birthday present right there. But one of the things is that we have to ask for the right things and we must be okay receiving an answer that we don't want, but an answer that maybe God tells us we need instead. And maybe for some of you, you're not in that place right now. Maybe some of you are honestly where I'm at today, as, even as a pastor. I'm not upset with the answers God has given me. I'm upset that I'm not getting an answer at all right now. That I, I'm seeking, I'm asking, I'm knocking, and there's no answer on the other side. If I was honest, I'll take anything at this point. Just give me some kind of answer. And one of the things that we're tempted to do is we're tempted to pray and give up. We'll, we'll kind of treat prayer like, mailing a letter. Okay, God, I wrote my letter. I prayed one time. I sent it to your address. Now I'm waiting on you to return. And we ask one time and simply sit around and wait for an answer. Jesus has a great parable he uses in Luke 18, I think will help us understand how we should be persistent in prayer. Now he, Jesus told them, his disciples, a parable of the need for them to pray always and not give up. There was a judge in a certain town who didn't fear God or respect people. And a widow in that town kept coming to him saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he was unwilling, but later he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or respect people yet, because this widow keeps pestering me, I will give her justice so that she doesn't wear me out by her persistent coming. Verse goes on to say, then the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. Will not God grant justice to his elect who cry out to him day and night? There are probably people in here probably watching online and I'm, I'm honestly in this space right now where it, it's just, I haven't been persistent in prayer. I prayed for a season for an answer. I never got it and I gave up. If you want to see answers, doors opened and find what you're seeking for, you must not give up. You must learn to be persistent. You must learn to keep knocking. In fact, knock on that door day and night until someone comes to it. It doesn't matter. Keep knocking, keep asking, keep seeking. Don't give up because what we're tempted to do is ask one time and wait on an answer and never ask again. Keep asking, keep seeking, keep praying, keep knocking at the door and what was said in Matthew 7 will become true for you. You will find. The doors will be opened. You will receive. If we're gonna fight our spiritual battles and get victory over the things we're struggling with, we must be persistent in prayer. We must continue to ask, we must continue to seek, and we must continue to knock. The second thing that we must learn to do is we must learn to walk humbly. One of the things that's hard for us, no matter what we're dealing with is in life in general, is that as human beings, we have a hard time balancing all aspects of our life. We're usually all in it or not in it at all. And one of the things that we need to learn to do is balance when it comes to how we fight our battles. 
I spent all of last week, if you were here last week with 40 minutes that I had, I spent all 40 minutes telling you that the way you're gonna help see redemption, restoration and renewal in your life and the people around you is when you get up and go and take your faith with you, that you would put your faith in action. And then I just spent the last 10 minutes telling you that, hey, if you're gonna fight your battles, you need to pray. And we're tempted to either pray with no action or action with no prayer. And I wanna tell you, man, we're going to have to learn to pray, but also put, put our feet in action and bring our faith with us. We never stop praying, obviously. It doesn't mean we stop praying, but we must learn to put into action the things we're learning, the things we're growing in, the prayers that we're praying. For some of us, maybe we prayed, God, help fix my marriage. And if we're honest, maybe God is giving you an answer. And that answer was, hey, why don't you try therapy? Why don't you try marriage counseling? Why don't you try to seek to understand where your partner's coming from before you jump in and argue with them? Why don't you slow down and listen a little bit? Hey, maybe it's time to go separate ways. Maybe there's, there's no restoration hope here, but we just kind of keep praying. Hopefully God will save my marriage, even though God has already given us the direction we are to go. Now he's waiting for us to faithfully walk in those directions. And so one of the things that comes from Micah 6, 8 in the Old Testament is a great passage. This is what it says. Mankind, he has told each of you what is good and what it is the Lord requires of you to act justly, to love faithfulness, to walk humbly with your God. Notice that act, love, and walk are all verbs. This is what we are to do. This is what we are to be. This is how we are to act, that we are to act justly, love faithfulness, and walk humbly with our God. I just want to give two prime examples of how this can really flesh itself out. You know, we're called not only to fight our own battles, but to fight the battles for the people who are hurting around us in this country, in this world. Last Monday, a wicked man with a gun walked into an elementary school and killed 19 children and two adults in Uvalde, Texas. And you and I, and this is not a bad thing, are tempted to look at a tragedy such as that and say, we should be praying for those people. And I will tell you, absolutely, we should be falling to our knees every night and praying for those families. But what if God wants us to do more than just pray about it? What if God wants you to get up and actually do something about it? One of the ways that you can help the victims of Uvalde massacre the health department there said one of the things that was extremely helpful for them in the midst of an unforeseen crisis like this was the fact that they had enough blood supply on hand to quickly provide care to those who were wounded. That simply put, one of the practical ways you can make a difference is by giving blood, by donating. We have those at our outreach building ever so often that if Lord forbid this were ever happen in our region, that there would be enough supply on hand to provide immediate care and immediate help to those who are wounded in a situation like this. You can donate to help the families. There's a fundraiser called Victims First and Victims First is a very trustworthy fundraising opportunity where everything you give goes straight to the families and victims of the Uvalde massacre who lost their children. No strings attached, straight up cash payments to these families. In fact, when you check out Victims First, you'll already see that most of the families have already received more than they needed to cover funeral costs because of a fundraiser like Victims First. That yes, you should be praying for these families, obviously, but maybe God is calling you to do more than just pray. Maybe he's calling you to get up and give blood, to donate your money to 
bring relief that parents won't have to worry about funeral costs for their baby who is eight years old. Let's look at another example. Look at what's going on in the Ukraine, right? We have a malicious evil dictator in Russia and you can hate me for calling him evil but that is what he is, taking what's not rightfully his. And people are losing family members, homes and everything they've worked so hard to build from an evil man. Should we be praying for the people in Ukraine? Absolutely, we should be praying for the people in Ukraine. But what if God wants you to do more than just pray for the people in Ukraine? Some of the ways that you can help, practically speaking, these people, we have things like Send Relief, which is a Baptist organization. And what they're doing is they're sending food, sending shelter, sending transportation, and sending hygiene kits to people in the Ukraine right now. Churches all across Poland, as we speak, are opening their church doors, they're building doors and providing places for refugees fleeing from Ukraine to have places to sleep, providing them food and providing them clothes until they can find arrangements, however often that takes them. The churches in Poland are literally saying, here, use our building, stay here, find refuge here. There's a great organization called Mission to the World. They're actually involved in helping the Ukrainian people flee their country and move to westward countries to find safety they're actively trying to get them out of the country and into safer countries as we speak. And you can give, and in some of these organizations, you can go and be a part of this. You can actually put your faith into action and be a part of not only just praying for peace to come to the Ukraine, but bringing peace yourself to the people in Ukraine. So we must balance, right? We should pray, we should ask, we should seek, we should knock, but we should also get up and go and fight our battles the best way we can with the resources that have been given to us by God. And one of the things I'm praying for, and it'll be what it'll be, I don't care. It, the, one of the things I'm praying for honestly in this country is that we wouldn't use things like Uvalde, Texas shooting and make it political that the people on the left are terrible because now they wanna use this to take our guns or the people on the right are terrible because now they, they wanna just keep guns the way they are and keep guns in the hands of good citizens instead of bad citizens. You have your own political opinion, I'm sure, and I really don't care about it, but I'm here to tell you, it would be great if both people on both parties learned to just shut up for a second, get up, turn off Facebook and go and help the people who are actually hurting. You have your political opinions. I, I love that about you guys, but maybe turn off CNN for a day. Turn off Fox News for a day. Stop politicizing hurt and pain and battles that the enemy is using. Is the man who shot up the school evil? Absolutely, he's an evil man. Is Vladimir Putin an evil man? He is absolutely evil, but he is not and they are not the real enemy here. Our real enemy is a puppet master using people like that to bring death and destruction. And we must pray, but we must begin to, Turn off the TV, turn off the social media and go do something, bring hope. Use your money to donate. If it's 20 bucks, give them 20 bucks. Be the hands and feet of God. When we fight our battles, we must pray, but we must also learn to get up and go and put it in action. The third thing we must do if we're gonna fight our battles is we must learn to fight together. It's easy to believe that your struggles, your battles are your own personal issue and you should figure them out on your, on your own. It's hard to ask for help. I'll be honest, even for me, it's hard to look someone in the face and say, I need some help here. 
because we've made it so that if we ask for help, we're somehow weak. What if I told you that you really are weak? That there's no trying to cover it here. When you ask for someone to help you, whether it's praying for you, helping you with something you're dealing with, you are in a sense saying, I can't do this on my own. But what if I told you that every start to you growing in any part of your life is a start with checking your pride at the door and acknowledging that you need help? Anywhere you wanna grow in your life, spiritually, financially, physically, is gonna have to start with saying, I don't know what I'm doing here. I need someone to help me out. And that's what the kingdom of God is about. It's about laying down that I don't know what I'm doing, so I'm trusting God's ways over my ways. And the Bible is full with practical advice and wisdom. And so one of the most practically speaking, easy to understand passages comes from Ecclesiastes 4. King Solomon says this, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their efforts. For if either falls, his companion can lift him up, but pity the one who falls without another to lift him up. Also, if two lie down together, they can keep warm. But how can one person alone keep warm? And if someone overpowers one person, Two can resist them. A cord of three strands is not easily broken. You don't have to have a master's degree to figure out what that passage is saying. It's better that you have someone alongside you with whatever you're going through. Two is better than one. And and what I wanna say just about this is that you must learn to fight your battles as a community. You don't have to fight alone. You don't have to go through life alone. You don't have to suffer alone. And one of the ways, I just want to clarify it because it can be misconstrued. One of the reasons that we so often stand before you on a Sunday and say, hey, it's probably a good idea for you to stop just attending and start serving. Stop just attending and join a small group is not because we want to get something from you, right? Because it seems like a self-asking, self-serving ask, right? Come make us better, so serve with us. Come make us better, so give us money. Come make us better, so join a small group. I could speak for staff in saying that the reason we're asking you to take your next step in serving, take your next step in joining a small group is because it's what's best for you, not what's best for us. I would dare anyone in this room to find a consistent volunteer who consistently serves at this church in any capacity and ask them, how has your life changed since you begin to serve? And all of those who consistently serve would look you in the face and say, I feel more known here. I feel more loved here. I feel more accepted here. I feel like I have people in my corner when I'm going through something. That when I'm going through a bad season, I know that people on my team are gonna be praying for me. That if I were to have a tragedy and lose my mom or lose my grandma, that they would provide a meal train for me immediately and bring us food for the week. I would dare anyone to go ask someone who's consistently plugged into a small group, how has your life been different since you joined a small group? And they would consistently say, my life has done nothing but be better because I've joined a small group. These women know me now. I've been honest with them about my struggles and they haven't judged me for it. In fact, they were there for me. They cried with me when I lost someone I cared about. They prayed for me when I felt like no one was actually gonna take the time to pray for me. But when we come and we make this a hobby and we sit and we leave and then we go home and we never make connections, we never make true family here, you're gonna fight battles alone. And we don't want you to fight battles alone. We want you to know that there are at least five people here you can go to when anything happens and know that they're actually praying for you. Know they'll actually help you. Know they'll actually show up when you ask them to show up. We must learn to fight our battles together as a community. This is what God has intended for us. The very first thing we learn from the Bible is that God said man is not good, that he is alone. We must learn to fight together our battles. You do not have to fight your battle on your own. We will be more than willing to come alongside you and love you and fight them with you. 
And then the last thing that we have to do if we're gonna fight our battles, spiritually speaking, is we must learn to wait on the Lord. And, and this is the last one. And it, to me, it's probably the most emotional one for me because as I say it, I know that there's pain in this room and there's hurt in this room. And when I say this, I'm not trying to depress you, but it is somewhat of a, a true fact. There are some battles you're fighting, you won't get victory from this side of heaven. There are some things we will pray for and we will have to wait until we breathe our last breath to get that relief from them. I'm not saying it's what you're dealing with right now. I'm not saying that God can't show up and do the miraculous things. I absolutely believe if you ask, God will come. But I do believe there are some struggles, there are some thorns in the flesh that you will just have to battle and faithfully follow God the rest of the days of your life as you battle them. And you won't get that victory this side of heaven. And that's a sad thing to say, but Isaiah 30, 18 says this about what that means. He says, therefore the Lord is waiting to show you mercy and is rising up to show you compassion for the Lord is a just God. All who patiently wait for him are blessed. Waiting on the Lord is not pleasant, but you are blessed for waiting and being patient and trusting God even when he doesn't give you the victory today, trusting that he may give it to you tomorrow. So like, what do you do when you know what is you're, you're supposed to do, but your heart isn't there yet, right? When you, when you know what is right and you know what is wrong and you know what you should be doing and you know what you shouldn't be doing up here, but here it's hard for you to believe it. That disconnect, what do you do when that happens? We must position ourselves under a waterfall of grace and we must continue to follow and obey God even when the victory hasn't come yet and trust that it'll come tomorrow. And if it doesn't come tomorrow, we'll trust that it comes tomorrow. We'll trust it comes tomorrow. Waiting on the Lord is hard. One of the things I wanna end with is just giving you a little bit of a history lesson. It sounds very weird way to end the message, especially a series, but I think it'll help tie this part of waiting on the Lord together. In first century Jewish culture, marriage happened in phases. In fact, when Jesus was having his last supper with his disciples, he wasn't having just a supper. He was proposing to his disciples. In first century Judaism, here's how marriage would happen. A man would often pick a wife for his son. That's how it worked back then. So he would pick a woman for his son to be married to. He would go to the house of the, the bride's father and he would say, okay, I want my son to marry your daughter. And the bride's father would respond, how much are you willing to pay? That's just how it works. I'm willing to pay this much. All right, we'll write up a contract and we'll, and we'll call this much money for your son to marry my daughter. And what would happen is if they, the fathers agreed on it, now it was up to the children to decide if they wanted to follow through with this. This wasn't some sick, you must marry this guy. This was, hey, the fathers agree you guys should get married, but if you don't wanna get married, there's an out here. So what would happen is the man, the groom, would come up to the table and pour a glass of wine. And he would sit on the table in front of the woman. If the woman would sip of it, the man was to follow suit. That means she accepted his offer. And then this period of betrothal happened. So betrothal, betrothal is meaning they were together legally, but yet apart. So what would follow is the man would leave for at minimum a year. But on his way out, he would leave, leave a gift for his future bride. He would say, here's a gift. While I leave, 
I want you to hold on to this gift and it serves as a reminder that I am coming back again. So he would leave and what would he do for that year? He would go to his father's house and build a honeymoon suite. That's basically what it was. For the next year, he would be doing a construction project and building a honeymoon suite. And he was not allowed to go get his wife, his future bride, until his father said, your honeymoon suite meets my satisfactory report. It's good enough for me, so now you can go. So what would happen is he would ask his dad, dad, is this suite up to your standards? And the dad would say yes or no. And if he said yes, he would look at his son and say, now go get your bride. But can you imagine what it's like to be the woman in that situation for a year? Some random man comes to your house and now you've legally entered into a contract to be wed, but now for a year he's leaving you. And what the woman would do is if she was in the betrothal process, she would have to wear, wear a veil in public. And that veil signified to the public, I am taken, I'm in the betrothal period, I'm waiting on my husband to come back. So they would wear that in public. But can you imagine what she thought on a daily basis? I know we love to think she never wavered in her doubts for her husband for a second, but let's be real. Man, could you not imagine the doubt you would have in your mind? I just met this guy two days ago and now I'm taking him at his word that he's gonna come back. Does he really love me? He doesn't even really know me. Is he really coming back or has he kind of found someone else that maybe he likes better? And there was this doubt that ensued in the woman's heart. And when the future husband was told he could go get his wife, here's what he would do. He would gather his groomsmen, that's what they were called. I mean, I'm just using that for sake of saving you a history lesson. But he would gather his groomsmen and they would walk into the town of the, their future, his future bride and they would blare a ram's horn to signify his coming, that I am here, it's time to celebrate and be fully together now. And the horn would be the signal that he would enter into the marriage fully. And the bride would hear it and her and her bridesmaids would get up. And what would happen is they would go to the honeymoon suite, consummate the marriage. And then after consummating it, everyone would gather at his father's house and celebrate with two stars of the show at the center, the groom and the bride. Now they were not together yet apart. Now they were fully together permanently forever and eternity. You may not have caught on to it, but that is exactly how our faith story works. At last supper, Jesus drank of the cup and he passed it around for his people to drink of the cup together too. At that point, they entered into a betrothal. I'm about to leave, but you're mine. Know that I'm coming back. He left them with a gift, the Holy Spirit, as a reminder, hold on to this. Remind you that I'm coming back. He paid the ultimate price for the marriage, right? Not shekels of silver. He paid the price of his life for us. He is now what, John 14, going to build a place for us. That's what he's doing right now. He's preparing a place for us. And one day he will come back. And how will he come back? When the horn sounds and he comes back. And now we will be fully together again. But where are we right now? We're in the waiting period. And the waiting period is hard. There's a lot of hurt in the waiting period. There's a lot of doubt in the waiting period. There's a lot of questions in the waiting period. And we're wondering if he is actually coming back. And while we wait, there will be struggles again that you may not see victory of this side of heaven. But here's what I gotta tell you. When he does come back, Revelation makes it clear. He will wipe away every tear. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. 
you can know that the battles you're facing today, you may not see victory of. I don't know if you will or not, I'm not God, but I can tell you there is a day coming where you won't have to fight battles anymore. You won't have to fight anymore. He'll come and he'll bring complete restoration. There will be no more struggle, no more pain, no more tears. All things will be new. All things will be restored and you can rest in peace for eternity. We're gonna end today by singing a new song together. When I picked this series out to preach it, I also picked the song to close our series with. I think this series is, or this song, excuse me, rather, is a great opportunity for us to do something I think that maybe some of us in the room need to do. I said in the first point that some of us have stopped asking. We've stopped seeking and we've stopped knocking. While we end the service together in this song, I do want you to sing, I do want you to praise, but I also want you seriously, use this time to pray. Some of you, you've stopped asking for victory over certain battles. I don't know what it is. I want you to use this time to keep asking, to keep seeking, to keep knocking, to seriously get before God right in this moment and pray and say, I know I haven't been praying lately. I know I've kind of given up on asking you for victory over certain things, but God, I'm coming to you right now in this moment. I'm gonna get back down on my knees and I'm gonna pray and I'm gonna ask and I'm gonna seek and I'm gonna knock and I'm gonna expect you to answer. And when we choose to seek first the kingdom of God and we put God's will above our will, we will see Answers are on the horizon. Victory is on the horizon. But we must seek first his kingdom and know that when we do that, all things will be added. Would you stay with me while the band leads us in our new song? Pure in heart, for they they 
are the peacemakers they will be called children of God blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness theirs is the king theirs is the king theirs is the kingdom of heaven they will be filled they will be this is the king this is the king this is the kingdom of heaven ask and he will ask and he will this is the king this is the king this is the kingdom of heaven. Oh, the kingdom of heaven. Seek first the kingdom and all will be added. Seek first the kingdom, and all will be added. Seek first the kingdom, and all will be added. All will be added. All will be added. Seek first the kingdom, and all will be added. Seek first the kingdom, and all will be added. Seek first the kingdom, and all will be added. All will be at, all will be at. Seek first the kingdom, and all will be at. Seek first the kingdom, and all will be at. Seek first the kingdom, and all will be at. All will be at, all will be at. Seek first the kingdom, and all will be at. Seek first the kingdom, and all will be added. Seek first the kingdom, and all will be added. All will be added. Oh, you will be filled. You will be filled. This is the kingdom. This is the kingdom. This is the kingdom of heaven, ask and he will, ask and he will. This is the kingdom, this is the kingdom, this is the kingdom of heaven. Seek first the kingdom, and all will be added. Seek first the kingdom, and all will be added. Seek first the kingdom, and all will be added. All will be added. All will be added. Seek first the kingdom, and all will be added. Seek first the kingdom, and all will be added. Seek first the kingdom, and all will be added. 
just pray in this moment. There's hurt, there's battles in this room, there's things we're hoping for, God. There's things we're looking and praying to see, God. But we live in a world where we grow weary. God, there's real need in this room. We pray in these moments for those who are hurting, those who are fighting battles they haven't seen victory from yet, God. We are asking and knowing that we will receive in this moment. We are seeking and knowing we will find what you have for us. God, we are looking to knock and knock and knock again until we get something, God. God, help our hearts be ready to receive whatever answer you have for us, God, even if it's not the answer we want. Help us be men and women who fight our battles on our knees, who fight our battles by getting up at times and going, who fight our battles by surrounding ourselves with people who love us. And in the moments, God, where we have to wait on you, encourage us, help us learn to wait on you as well as we can. Lift us up, encourage us when we don't feel like waiting anymore. God, I pray for the hurt in this world, the families who took their kids to school on a Monday morning and realized it was the last day they'd ever say goodbye to their kids. I'm praying for a peace that surpasses all understanding to come and surround these families, God. But more than that, I'm praying that the church would be the church and they would love and serve these families well. The people in the Ukraine, God, who have got everything stripped from them, help them find hope, help them find peace. Help them look to you. Help the church be the church and take these people in and love them and serve them and do everything they can to provide the hope that you've given us. In this betrothal period, God, when we're waiting, help us remind us of the gift you gave us, your life. Help us never forget the gospel. Help us never forget what you've given us freely. And help us be men and women we're passionate about fighting our battles the way you've called us to and help us be men and women who are passionate about seeking first the kingdom of God and not the kingdom of our own world. We pray it in your name, amen. Guys, as we leave for Memorial Day, I just wanna thank you again for being here. We should have around 20-ish kind of um, cards left for VBS. If you would consider grabbing one on your way out, it's about five to $10 a piece per item. Allison could really love the help supplying the needs for her. If you feel as if you want to start volunteering in Kid Venture, not only for VBS, but in the future, ask her, ask me. We'd love to plug you in wherever we can here. And if you need anything, feel free to know that we're here as family. We love you. Anything you need, we're here for you. We love you guys. I hope you have a great long weekend.